politics, sports, movies. You are listening to the Let Me Bend Your Ear podcast. Welcome to the Let Me Bend Your Ear podcast. My name is Frank, and I'm the host of the show. Thank you for listening. If this is your first time listening, thanks for checking the show out. If you're a return listener, thanks for coming back and continuing to listen. The show is available on the following apps. Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and CastBox. If you listen to the show using one of these apps, please click subscribe, and this will allow you to receive notifications when new episodes are uploaded. You can also listen to episodes on the show's Facebook page, which can be found by searching for Let Me Bend Your Ear. Episodes are also available on the show's YouTube channel. Just search for Let Me Bend Your Ear podcast. This podcast covers three different topics, politics, sports, and movies. Each episode is dedicated to one of these topics. You can also follow the show on social media. The handle for Twitter is at BendYourEarPod. This is also the handle for Instagram. If you want to email the show, the email is BendYourEarPodcast at gmail.com. If you're not using a podcasting app to listen to the show, you can always get episodes directly from the website, which is located at www.letmebendyourear.com. All right, welcome to the show. I'm very happy to have back today uh, for this recording, uh, Neve. Uh, if you listen to episode 65, which is the latest episode up now, it was another episode that she hosted of Hidden Horror Gems, where she talked about. I still know what you did last summer, and I know what you did last summer, uh, the movie and its sequel. So check out that episode. And uh, as you know, she is a big-time horror movie buff, and it was actually her suggestion that we kind of delve into 90s horror films, which was an interesting choice because uh, I know when we've talked about movies before, we've talked about some of the older ones. So it's kind of good to get to at least, even though these are the beginning movies are more than 20 years old, at least it's a little more contemporary than something like Halloween. But before we even get into that, let me introduce Neve and Neve, uh, tell everybody uh, where they can find your uh, blog and, and how to reach you on social media. Oh, hiya. Um, as, as you just said, I've got my true crime blog. It's crimeinmypocket.com. And you can follow that then on Twitter and Instagram, and that's at Crime in My Pocket. Perfect. And like I said, def definitely check out our blog. I read her latest uh, uh, blog. Um, actually, talk about your latest one because I actually read it last week, and it was it was very interesting. Um, uh, just talk about that one. I don't know if remember it was a repost or, or a brand new one, but uh, um, about the uh, the female killer in in England. Can you uh, just give a little brief recap of that one so people can check it out? Um, it is actually one of my favourites to see this, uh, Joanna Dennehy, the, or the case is known over here as the Peterborough Ditch Murders, because obviously they found uh, the bodies in the ditches. And I've, I've, I always enjoy female serial killers because there's not a lot of data on them, really, so they're always quite interesting. It seems to be like a lot of the data that's already been collected is on the male ones, because... So there's not uh, not much on females, so it's always interesting. And this is one of my favourites because it is it is a wild case. It's it's crazy because she was just so unapologetic for what she did to those men, just completely. Like uh, like just as an example, when she she went on the run when the bodies were found and everything, uh, and doing um, and she started uh, killing people. She went on a bit of a rampage, and she killed. She went to attack this man and took his dog. And she still had the dog, which she was taken into custody. And she was asking the police officers if the dog was okay after just stabbing three people. It's, it's an absolutely crazy case. It is. It's, it's really worth checking out. It's one of my favourites. 
Yeah, no, when I was reading it, just the shocking nature. And like you said, I know, I think that's why people have a fascination kind of, mm. of true crime and, and specifically serial killers. And I think this is a good example. And it's like you said, two things. One, uh, female serial killers are, are, are highly unusual. I mean, rare is probably a better term. And reading this story, it's, it's if you didn't, you would have just assumed, had you not known the name or the sex of the killer, that it was just another male serial killer. So it is more interesting yeah. that it was a female. When I was reading your blog, yeah, and what you do so well is it's just basically just the, and that's where I think, you know, people have trouble reconciling, you know, we always want to have, well, why did somebody do this? Is there a motive? And and a lot of times it's just because they, they're just not, you know, whatever it is, mm. it's not wired correctly. They're just not, you know, whatever that is. There's really no concrete answer to that question. And, and, yeah. and unfortunately, like you said, they're, they're just victims that are unfortunately, um, um, terrorized by someone like this, but yeah, definitely check it out. If you're uh, a, a true mm. crime fan, uh, definitely check out her blog. Her writing's fantastic. She does a lot of, if you read it, you can tell the research that she puts into it. So definitely, uh, definitely check that out. All right. So what we're going to get into today and looking forward to it, as I stated earlier, uh, we're talking about nineties horror. So before we get into it a little bit, I want to go a little background on it and then Eve, you can always jump in on anything. Cause I know you're an expert on this <laughs> at this time in the, uh, probably early to mid nineties, I think, a lot of people, especially horror fans uh, like yourself, would agree um, that mainstream horror, in the sense that nothing, you know, like cult favorites, there was not horror was kind of in a in a in a down time. Mm. I think there wasn't really a lot of really great horror movies that had come out. Uh, the and I, like I said, I'm not a horror buff. The the ones uh, pre screen, the the one I remember the most uh, was Candyman which I know you and I have briefly yes. discussed uh, in previous ones. And like I said, I think what we'll do uh, when the remake comes out, uh, we'll probably, I think you and I can review the old one and the new one, which I think will be fun. Um, Definitely. But I think, yeah, other than Candyman, I don't think there was really anything that was entertaining in that kind of vein other than um, before Scream than Candyman. Were there any movies at that time, like from 90 to 95 where, you were like, wow, this is a fantastic horror film. I could be missing something, but I just don't remember it being a, a movie that popped in the horror genre. Like, like to me, Candyman, even though Candyman was a cult film, it was critically, mm. uh, had good critical reviews. And when I saw it, I enjoyed it. Yeah, you, you say that. I'm thinking Candyman. And I'm trying to think. And no, I mean, I, I was born in, in 94. So, you know, it was, oh, okay, uh, there you go. Sorry, it was, it was a big thing right for me. So, <laughs> But um, but I, you know, obviously I go back and I, I love all the old horrors anyway. So, but I, I can't think of anything actually because I, I completely fell in love with in with the slasher genre anyway that came in with the nineties with Scream. I know what you did last summer and all of that. So, all right. So then we'll get right into it. Then so we're going to review the first Scream movie. So I'm going to give a little background on the movie. It was kind of fun looking to some facts on the movie. So Scream came out 1996 it was directed by Wes Craven so Wes Craven of course is a a legend in the horror movie genre um he started in the late 60s early 70s he directed films like Last House on the Left uh mm -hmm. and um of course in the 80s he's famous for the Nightmare on Elm Street film and uh the couple of sequels that he directed uh notably and I may we may do this on another one um as I was looking through his filmography before we got on this mm -hmm. uh, recording uh, the new nightmare one, which is when he revisited the character and kind of did a meta uh, movie within the movie, having their actors play themselves, figuring out how to stop Freddie in real life. I thought that was a really creative mm -hmm. and kind of a, a new way to approach some material that had kind of gotten pretty stale from all the sequels. But uh, we'll get into another show. But he did that movie. Um, 
he did one of my favorite movies, uh, horror movies, actually. It came out in 88, which is called The Serpent and the Rainbow. It wasn't very well. Um, I don't know if it was received well. It didn't do well. I saw it in the movies. Uh, it's about voodoo in Haiti with Bill Pullman. Excellent horror film. Mm-hmm. One of my favorites. So uh, I would highly recommend that. Maybe you and I can talk about that one. Um, but at the time that Scream was coming out in 96, he was kind of in a in a commercial kind of slump. He had still been making movies, but not not not, not since Nightmare on Elm Street had anything popped really since then mm-hmm. for him. And uh, he got the opportunity to direct this film that was scripted by uh, Kevin Williamson. So uh, if you listen to Neve's uh, podcast, episode 65, Kevin Williamson is a pretty prolific screenwriter and uh, a creator of television shows like Dawson's Creek. And I think he executive produced The Vampire Diaries as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also wrote um, the horror films, I Still Know What You Did Last Summer, I Know What You Did Last Summer. And actually another film that I, that I have forgotten about that I had watched when it came out in 96 called Teaching Mrs. Tingle, starting Helen Mirren. Um, he wrote that film as well. Uh, he actually wrote that film before he wrote Scream. And a funny fact I saw is that Scream was originally called Scary Movie. So if you are a fan of parody movies, you know the Scary Movie franchise, yeah. uh, Paradise. But that was actually the original title of Kevin Williamson's screenplay, but then they changed it to Scream. And the other fun fact before we get into it was I didn't know, you know, in the opening sequence, we'll talk about that with uh, with Drew Barrymore. Drew Barrymore was actually originally cast to play Sidney Prescott, Neff Campbell's role. But she suggested that she play the role at the very beginning of the movie because she felt, which I think is a good thought, that if she got killed right at the beginning, then that would set the table that anyone yeah. could be killed at the time. So I thought that was a really good decision um, on his part. And actually, uh, the other one was David Arquette was actually going to be cast as Loomis, uh, but he wanted the Dewey role instead. So that, mm-hmm. I think that turned out to be well because he's, he's great in that part as well. All right, so uh, we'll get right into it. Let me start with the cast uh, of Scream. So it's a pretty big cast of young actors at the time um, that this movie came out. So you have uh, Drew Barrymore as Casey. Uh, you have uh, Nev Campbell, of course, as the main character, Sidney Prescott. You have Courtney Cox as Gail Weathers, the reporter. You have um, Rose McGowan, David Arquette, um, Matthew Lillard, uh, Skeet Ulrich, uh, Leave Schreiber in a small role that he'll will be expanded in Scream Two as we talk about that. Um, so we'll go ahead and get into it. So the movie opens, of course, the famous opening of Scream. If you've seen it, is is basically the typical girl at home alone watching TV. Mm-hmm. The phone rings and she picks it up and proceeds to have a series of conversations with a, an unknown. A uh, person that's asking her questions, asking her what her favorite horror movie is. And of course, she's like, who is this? And and it kind of escalates to the point where, you know, it's the, the famous, you know, oh, my God, he's close to the house. He's in the house. And then uh, obviously ends um, with uh, with her being murdered. And that's the opening before the credits start. So uh, just commenting on that scene, I'll let you come in, Neve, is, you know, obviously it's done with a lot of suspense uh, kind of. And what we'll see through these movies is it's kind of a. uh an homage to these movies and also kind of making fun of them at the same time. Uh, and I think this is a good setup because the movie, it's very suspenseful legitimately. Um, there's some gory violence at the end uh, of the scene and it, it kind of, I think it sets the table for the movie really well. What are your thoughts on that opening sequence? I, I really enjoyed the opening sequence and I enjoyed the phone calls, the, you know, the, the now famous line, what's your favorite scary movie? I always really enjoy. I enjoyed that one. And 
And it did, it did really build uh, the suspense. And what Drew Barrymore said about killing her early on, that did give you the feeling of, oh, well, they've killed the most famous person in this off, so anyone can be killed, you know? So I, I did really enjoy it. And at the end, obviously, with her, with her mother, you don't necessarily see too much of the gore when she's, you know, hung from the tree, to put it delicately, uh, when she's, like, hung from the tree. But then you just hear the mother scream because obviously her parents have come home as well, haven't they? And they've heard that they've been hearing it over the phone before finding her. So that that builds it again. And then obviously the father finds her and the mother's screaming. And it, it was a really good scene. I enjoyed the opening. Yeah. And uh, as I was doing my notes here, because the one thing I had remembered about screaming, and if you find any Easter eggs that are in there, please jump in if I miss any. Um, mm-hmm. When I was doing some research, I'm glad I did it, that the scene so when the parents come to the house and they see the door open and they can't you know they, they know something's wrong the father tells the mother to go over to the mckenzie's and call the police so if you remember that's the same line that jamie lee curtis delivers in halloween go over to the yes. mckenzie's and call the police yes i didn't re- i missed yes. it too, I, yes it's the same line so um I, I i found some easter eggs that i took notes on but that was one that i missed so you know, obviously, Scream, uh, Kevin Williams and the writer was a huge horror movie fan. And uh, he actually, it's funny, there's a Florida connection, which I'm from, and I had forgotten about these murders. He based his original treatment of this of this screenplay on, uh, there was murders, there's a there's a big university here in Florida, in Gainesville, called the University of uh, Florida. It's Danny Rowling, isn't it? The Yo, Gainesville Yes. Yeah. I'm sorry, I'm actually <laughs> like, you wouldn't know about this. I'm so sorry. Of course you know about this, and you probably know more about it than I remember. But I was living in Florida, of course, at the time. You know, obviously very scary. So he, he based the 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 plot kind of on that loosely but mm-hmm. that was some of his inspiration so when i had when i read that i'm like i have forgotten about the danny, danny rolling case yes because um, i thought that as well with the opening scene about the posing in the tree because he used to do like a lot of graphic posing with his victims like there was one girl i think her head was cut off and it was left on the other side of the room like looking at the body while her nipples were cut off and things like that it was really like graphic sort of posing of the body so that that did make me think of it as well i thought yeah it is sort of you can see how it's loosely based with the way the gore and the bodies are treated in the film like yeah, yeah. no and again i'm laughing now that i that i would cite a case and, and assume that you didn't know about it <laughs> i won't make that mistake again um I actually so yeah forgot. yeah i was thinking it's a florida case yeah he's from florida of course yeah. <laughs> Of course, exactly. All right. So, um, yeah, so definitely. So that was the first Easter egg. So that was the the same line that Jamie Lee Curtis used, which is fantastic. And obviously, uh, as we go through the film itself, there's uh, a lot of times you'll see, you know, when these these victims are home by themselves, a lot of them are watching horror movies. And, and there's several scenes in Halloween that are present in Scream that you see uh, on the TV that uh, a, a character may be watching or or a horror movie uh, that they're watching, especially towards the end. But all right, so let's get into the main story. So the main story of Scream is Sidney Prescott, uh, played by Nev Campbell. Uh, the movie is set uh, a year after uh, her mother was raped and murdered. Uh, so obviously she's her character is dealing with uh, the trauma of that event. Uh, you know, uh, obviously a year later, it's still fresh and, and we're coming upon the anniversary of that, uh, of that crime. And then of course, uh, beginning with the opening scene, uh, where, uh, Casey is murdered. There's a, obviously a revisiting of this and, uh, you meet, uh, Sydney and her friends and including them like a movie, you know, movie geek played by, um, Jamie Kennedy and then Skeet Ulrich plays her boyfriend, uh, Loomis, which is another, uh, homage of course to, 
to Halloween with the character's yeah. name. So uh, another easy one there. And, um, and uh, as again, you get to learn about her school life, kind of what she's dealing with her relationship with her boyfriend. Uh, obviously one of the big subtexts of the movie is, and it's funny because they talk about how, you know, when he's given the rules of movies, how virgins, you have to be a virgin. If you have sex, that means sex equals you're going to get killed. Uh, you know, obviously they're dealing with a, uh, an issue in their relationship because she's still dealing with this trauma and they've kind of mm. lost their intimacy that they were having before that. So all kind of that plays out as the movie goes. Uh, so then as the killings start, then obviously the trauma is revisited and the movie becomes both a horror film to me and kind of a, a mystery as well, which I think is what sets it apart from kind of other horror movies. Most horror movies have a straightforward narrative, uh, killer, teenagers get killed. There's somewhat of a backstory to the, to the killer, but in this one, there's, a lot of stuff going on at the same time and of course the humor as well so what are your thoughts on the on the actual main story of screen i i enjoyed it like you said the the mystery of it and when especially like when you get to you know when you see it for the first time you obviously find out who the killer is and everything like that and you watch it back you again you sort of see little hints about who the actual killer is and things like that so i did i did enjoy the mystery element of it and like you said that does set it apart as well because it isn't just a oh, masked killer killing somebody and there's just like safe with friday the 13th or halloween there's a small backstory and then it just goes into these attack and these random teenagers this it does sort of set it apart and you do the story comes together obviously in the end then with the reveal which is uh which is it's 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 funny and it's it's good because it does put everything together yeah and we're going to get it yeah and i'm glad you brought that up so uh, i was thinking i was um having that talk with myself that I always have when we do something like this regarding spoilers. So I think we're going to do the, the rule of, look, this movie came out 25 yeah. years ago. If you haven't seen it by now. So, but what we will do is when we get to the reveal, cause I want, I think that's going to be, if we don't talk about it, that's kind of an incomplete discussion of the movie. So we'll, we'll, I'll give a little spoiler warning before people can turn it off, watch the movie fast forward or anything like that before we get into that part of it. So I'll, I'll throw out a little warning out there. Cause I think we do need to discuss it because it's a major part of, of I think what makes the film good. Um, so we'll get into that a little bit later. So um, a couple of more uh, um, homages that I wanted to talk about, and I can have you comment. I had forgotten this as well. Like I said, I, I've literally seen Scream only once. So this is only the second time I've seen the movie. So like I said, I, I, I remember the reveal in Scream 1. I'll talk more about Scream 2 when we get to it. But uh, there was little things that I've forgotten that I think they'd be enjoy the movie more. So the first cameo that I loved was, uh, or that I noticed was Linda Blair. Uh, with her three-second cameo from uh, the the star from The Exorcist, uh, was a reporter. She literally was on for three seconds. So as Gail Weathers is coming out of her vehicle or going to the school, she's like, she's asking, like, she threw out a question. It was literally a three-second cameo. So another uh, another horror movie legend uh, in the film. And then my favorite one was uh, the 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 quote unquote Freddy Krueger cameo, which I had forgotten about as well. So Henry Winkler, who is the principal of the school, and yes. I'll get to his performance in a minute, who's fantastic. We'll get to him in a minute. Uh, he's looking, you know, there's some knockings on the wall. He's getting a little spooked. He goes out to the hallway and there's a janitor named Fred who's got the full Freddy Krueger <laughs> get up. And it yeah. turns out that and it turns out that that's Wes Craven, the director. I didn't even it's so quick. I didn't realize it was him. So it's Wes Craven playing the character he created. Uh, as an homage to the film that he directed before. So I thought that was cool. And then, of course, the janitor's name was Fred. So that just made me laugh. It was funny. Yeah. So, I did not yeah. know it was Wes Craven, though. I, didn't I did know not either. That, but I did know it was actually Wes Craven that played him. Yeah, yeah, it was great. So, and then, yeah. so Henry Winkler, and I forgot that Henry Winkler was in the movie. 
which is, mm-hmm. just shows you how long ago I've seen him. Like I said, and I know, you know, he's a major actor. He paid the funds on Happy Days and American television. But he's, <laughs> I mean, he's in the movie until he meets his untimely demise. But uh, he's great. I mean, he's funny. He's kind of uh, smart assy with the kids. I just loved his performance in the movie. I just yeah. thought he had a lot of fun with it. Uh, what did you think of his performance? I enjoyed it. I was going to say, when uh, when you see the, the bits where the killing has started and teenagers just being, you know, teenagers are quite insensitive and they dress up as ghost face and run around. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed it. He just, the way he just, you know, he tells them off for doing it and calling them insensitive and everything like that. The way he just goes at them, I really enjoyed that. No, it was great, and and, yeah. and that's another thing about. And obviously, about... it it set up as well for his death, ending it because he had the ghost face mask there. Yeah. So it sort of sets up for because he's looking at the mask, looking at the mask, and of course the real ghost face is there. Yeah, absolutely, and and you yeah. brought up a, another good point about something that's funny that on revisiting this movie that I that I enjoyed about Scream, I think it it, it really did a good job, and I don't know if it's Kevin Williamson's view from when he was a teenager so i think he was probably i think he's in his 30s when he wrote this so he's you know or he was a younger writer but it, it does show and i think it adds to kind of the black humor of the movie is the dark humor is just how just teenagers are asses and it, and, yeah. it just, and it just really underscores that fact um it's just that you know this you know horrible murder and i know part of it too is you know you know coping mechanisms i know when horrible things happen you know people make bad jokes and there's gallow yeah. humor and, and i kind of get that psychology of it but it's just within the teenage realm there's there it's not really gallows humor it's like it's intended to be cruel and yeah. it's intended to kind of um and what you notice in scream then we'll talk about more in scream too it's i think more so in scream too but it, it it shows you kind of that the the way kind of high school works in the sense that you know there's the uh, the cool kids and nerdy kids there's always all these cliques uh, of different kids and and um, when something horrible happens, um, it always seems like there's an opportunity to kind of jump on any yeah. person that may seem weaker than you or victimized or anything like that. So I thought it, and I didn't think it was blatant. I don't think it was trying to send a message. I think it was just a realistic portrayal of how certain teenagers would act if the situation yeah. happened in real life. I think, I think it's pretty, uh, pretty spot on um, when it portrays that. Especially the scene as well when she when Sydney runs into the toilet upset obviously after the ghost faces run down the, the corridor and you hear the girls talking about her outside. It's that classic scene, you know, she's in the cubicle and they don't know she's there and the awful things they say about her and, and her mother. It shows like you said, how teenagers would, would probably react. It's just like picking, nasty sort of teenage girl sort of picking, isn't it? Absolutely. And I know that's a great point. And that's, that's the scene I think that typifies it as well. And I think Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing about Nev Campbell's character or or about Sidney Prescott, which I think gives it some depth too, I think as the movie progresses and she kind of finds out more about the circumstances surrounding her mother's death. So obviously uh, we can get into that a little bit. So uh, as we come to find out as the movie progresses is that we find out of course that her mother was raped and murdered and that someone was actually mm-hmm. prosecuted and jailed for that murder. And um uh as the movie progresses it there there seems to be some seeds of doubt because Gail Weathers is advocating for this person that was wrongly convicted. And then it forces Sidney Prescott to kind of reevaluate who her mother was. And obviously that makes her even more conflicted because obviously she's she's suffering the trauma of losing her mother, but mm. you know, not being sure if the person that actually um killed her is 
the person that's in jail. So um, Lee Schreiber plays that character now. Um, he'll become more uh, important in Scream 2 when we get into that, but Cotton Weary uh, is his name. So uh, I thought that added some depth to there. As, as far as performances in the movie, I'll let you take the lead there. Why don't you give me some of your, you know, we have a large cast. Uh, there's a main cast and all the supporting people. Who are some of your favorite performances in this movie? Um, Obviously, I'm a huge Drew Barrymore fan anyway. I loved Santa Clarita Diet, like her recent work and everything. So I'm a huge fan of her anyway. So I did love her performance like at the start. That sort of set the tone for the film. Um, obviously, David Arquette and Courtney Cox in it. I think because their characters work together a lot. More so, I think, in the second one. But in the first as well, you see a lot of scenes with them together. I think it was obviously the actors in real life. They were. I think that was where they met, wasn't it? On the set screen. And obviously they yes. went on to marry and have a child. I think they're divorced now, but I think they, you could see the chemistry between them, on, on the, between the two characters as well as the actors. You know, and I did really enjoy those two. Uh, yeah. yeah. No, I agree. I think the the main cast I think is good. I think Nev Campbell uh, mm. does a good job. She brings a good. I, I watched her on Party of Five, which was a television show she was on. Um, and that's how Wes Craven actually found her. And that was another funny fact, too, because I don't know. I'm sure you saw the movie The Craft with her in it, right? And for Oh, Ball. yeah. Have you seen that movie? Yeah. yeah I love so that, that came movie. out the year before Scream. Right. That came out the year before. And actually, Nev Campbell almost uh, actually, I think, turned down Scream at first because she didn't want to do back to back horror movies and mm. be known for that. So, but she ended up uh, ultimately um, taking the role. And I think it, 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 she's a good lead in that movie. I think she kind of grounds the movie. Her performance, I think, is very. Um, low-key in a good way. I think uh, when she needs to be aggressive, she is. When she needs to be vulnerable, she is. I think her her lead performance in the movie, I think, uh, is really strong. But yeah, Arquette, David Arquette and Courtney Cox are, are great. Um, you know, you know, David Arquette is pretty good at playing the dim-witted kind of nice yeah. guy. You know, so he's great. And then Courtney Cox, I think, gets to play an obnoxious reporter. And she does a great job there as well. Uh, I will single out um, Matthew Lillard. Uh, oh yeah yeah i like him he's fantastic and it's funny because he you know he's been known for i mean after scream he did you know he was shaggy in the scooby-doo movies and did a Mm -hmm. dead-on shaggy impression whether you like the movies or not his his, yeah he's fantastic as shaggy but uh in the last couple of years it's funny because i hadn't seemed to seen him in a while but he's done a lot of dramatic acting in the last few years on tv shows that i've watched and he's he's a great actor he's phenomenal and he's great in this movie um and the reason why he's great is because normally when a good actor does an over-the-top performance, it's good when it's a good actor. Like there's over-the-top performances where you're like, oh my God, I can't, I can't stand this guy. And that character in Scream could have been easily the guy that you're like, God, I, this movie could have done without him. He's too over the top. It's too much. But mm. he plays it in such a way that it, it just it's funny. And I know it's supposed to be over the top. And because he does such a good job at it, I mean, some of the, we'll get to the end of the movie in the climax because he's got some of the funniest lines. At the end, and yes. and and from what I read too, a lot of those lines that that were there were ad libbed, they were not in the script. So that's just him just being a good actor. So we'll get to that in a minute. But uh, his was one of my favorite performances of the movie. Now I want to get into, and this is because this is where your area of expertise in. So I want to I want to talk about kills in Scream. Mm-hmm. I want you to tell me what are your favorite kills in this movie because I know you got to have some. Um, I think it's obviously it's one that was parodied in Scary Movie as well because they like we mentioned Scary Movie they parody I know what you did last summer and Scream a lot in the first one it's one of the ones um, she goes out to the guy I can't remember the character's name she's 
I think she's Sydney's friend. Uh, Rose McGowan, Adam C. I think it was is it the blonde? Yes, that's it. Yes, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot her character's name, but yeah, the actress is Rose McGowan. Yeah, um, she goes out. It's at the at the party, and she goes out to the uh, the garage, obviously, to get more beer and confronts Ghostface and tries to escape through the little. I think it's like a doggy door. Yeah, or something it's a cat. Yeah, it's a doggy door. Yeah. Yes, and she gets obviously caught in the door. In in scary movie, it's obviously made a lot more comedic and silly, but it was just as silly and funny in this as well. So that's yeah. probably one of my favorites. No, that that's a good one because that's the thing too. It's so funny because it's like, and that's why I think these movies are good too because it strikes that balance. I mean, before it gets to yeah. the doggy door part, it's it's pretty terrifying. You know, obviously she's trapped, she's trying to get out, and. uh you think, uh, you know, it's great because it's set up great because it's like, you know, she's smart. She's going to get through the door. You know, she found a way out. Oh, and then and then it gets to it goes over to the, <laughs> to, to the and you find yourself laughing and going, oh, my God, I'm laughing at this poor girl, you know, yeah, being killed. And uh, but, yeah, it's it's definitely funny. And I, and I haven't seen the scary. I've seen the first scary movie. I haven't seen any of the other ones. If they parried it in that, I don't remember because I think I saw a scary movie once. It's the same way when it came out. So I probably don't remember most of the jokes in it, but. Uh, yeah, it, it definitely. That's a good one. That's a, that's a very good one. I mean, I, I do like the, like I said, the opening sequence is, is very good, mm, yeah. um, with, with, with Drew Barrymore. Cause I think it sets the table for, for what's to come, but yeah, no, no, that one, that one, Rose McGowan is pretty funny. So let's get to, um, the mystery. So let's go back to the mystery. So obviously mm -hmm. we have the, the, you know, various people getting killed, uh, and then we get to the reveal. So if you're listening to this now, you have not seen Scream. Uh, probably, you know, turn this off for about five minutes or so, as long as we take and or watch the movie and come back. Uh, but let's get into it. So we have a party at the end of Scream and, and, uh, you know, things kind of escalate to there and, you know, you have the group of kids watching, um, Halloween, um, and, and looking at that, talking about Jamie Lee Curtis and, uh, and then we get to where the killers reveal themselves. So in Scream... There has been speculation throughout the movie, especially from Jamie K uh, Kennedy's character, the movie store nerd, who talks about, you know, one of the other, one of my favorite scenes in the movie where he talks about how horror movies work and he gives all the rules, you know, mm. got to be a virgin. If you have sex, sex equals death, drugs equals death, which is a great scene because he's, he's, he's giving his sermon to the, to the crowd of teenagers at the party and they're all sitting there going, well, you can't have sex. And they, of course, are all like, what? No, that's ridiculous. And no drugs. And they're like, no drugs. What? And they're all like, this yeah. is terrible. So, which was very funny. And, and, and uh, and obviously he 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 went through the whole list of suspects and of course one of the rules is anybody can be a suspect and I think Scream uh, does a good job of kind of listing out who possibly could have done it. So in Scream, it turns out that there's actually not one killer but two, uh, and it turns out to be uh, Billy Loomis, Sidney Prescott's boyfriend, and Matthew Lillard's character Stuart who's more of an accomplice. So let's get into that because I think um, it's uh, it's it's well done because I think there, he was the, what I liked about Scream was he was initially kind of framed as a suspect because if you remember the scene when uh, when um, Ghostface first comes into Sydney's, attacks Sydney and then her boyfriend jumps in the window the second time and then the cell phone comes out. So she's already suspicious of him early on, but I think the movie does a good job of kind of putting him under suspicion early, but then kind of taking it away um, 
only to bring it back. So I don't know if you agree with that or not, or did you did you kind of know who the killers were? Was it pegged for you at some point in the movie, or did they do a good job of misdirection? Um, initially, when I first ever watched it, I I would couldn't have predicted it, um, but. Looking at it, like I said, looking at it back, you see the hints, like the the cell phone falling out when Ghostface has attacked Sydney, and there was also like a little one right at the start, just after Casey's murder, that I actually noticed uh, the other day. Like you said, you notice things again, especially rewatching it after all these years. And they're talking when they sat around the fountain at school talking about Casey's death. You can see Sydney's uncomfortable and everything like that. And they turn around to Stu and they say, "Oh, didn't you date Casey for a while?" Didn't she dump you? And you, it's showing that connection straight away. So it that was a little bit of sort of a hint to who was the killer. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And, and now that you're talking about it, the other thing that um, that I'm literally thinking about it right now, which I think kind of gives you gives you a hint, and it's subtle, is that uh, in the conversations that Sydney and Billy had, um, a lot of them revolved around his insensitivity to her situation. Mm. Um, and, and it's funny because it's subtle in a way, because especially that one conversation that, uh, they have when, when he basically tells her, you need to get over it. Yeah. Like you need, yeah. Oh, that's infuriating. Yes. And, and it's funny too. And and now that I'm thinking about it literally right now, that that's a huge red flag to me that he might've been, but I wasn't even thinking about red flag. It was more, but again, when it wraps it up in the fact that teenagers, I, I really pass it off as, which I think is a credit to the movie as just him being insensitive. And I, and I, and I actually gave his character the benefit of the doubt because I'm thinking, you know what? It's been a year. He's just wanting to have a relationship with his girlfriend. I don't think he really meant to be insensitive about, I, yeah. he just said it wrong. And then he apologizes immediately in the scene, but it wasn't the first thing. Cause he, he was kind of, you know, distant about it. He was never really, I, now that I look at it back, but watching the movie mm-hmm. the first time, you don't catch it. But like I said, I think those are huge red flags that he doesn't have a connection to Sydney's mother because he hurt, he, he was uh, involved. So I think that's, that was a huge clue that I missed um, that I think was thrown throughout the movie. So for me, I think it was pretty successful, even though he was initially kind of the first quote unquote suspect. Um, I think it, it, the movie did a good job in misdirecting um back to uh back to him actually being the killer uh so i thought that did a good job with that and then Stuart is kind of along for the ride so again matthew lillard who's fantastic uh so what i wanted to talk about was um uh, a couple of lines that he threw out at the very climax of the film so of course after the reveal there's the violent confrontation you know with sydney and billy and and Stuart, and then of course part of their plan to frame uh other people is to stab each other so that they yeah. appear to be victims and, and not perpetrators. <laughs> and of course, that's a darkly comic scene as well, because of course, um, um, Billy stabs Stuart first and then Stuart stabs Billy. And then uh, Stuart seems to be more hurt than they originally intended. And uh, just, the, just, he just throws away some lines or, or my favorite line is when he gets hit with the phone by, by, by Sydney and his reaction is like, you hit me with a phone. What are you doing? It was just very <laughs> funny. And then, and then the other line was, you know, it, it gets funnier because when he's, when he's mortally injured and he just gets woozier and more and more out of it. And it's just, he's like, yeah, I think you stabbed me too. Like, it's just, it was just some of the greatest lines on there. And he was just, just funny. It was just, it was just funny. And he was talking about, I think when, oh, what was it? This line he said, he said something about how his mom and dad are going to be really mad at him <laughs> when they find out what he did. 
Yeah, it was just a it was a throwaway line that was just just made me laugh. And I think that's the thing. And I think it underscores like the like I said, the undercurrent of a very dark humor, but very funny. And I think it helps, too, because I think it this is what kind of elevates this movie over the typical teen slasher movie. I think that's why it's been considered uh, kind of a classic. But what did you think of the climax? So after the reveal and the confrontation and the violence and, and all of that together, what did you think of that uh, uh, that part of the movie, the uh, the end? I I really enjoyed it. Like you said, it was it was just it was funny and everything's just wrapped up. I did really enjoy it. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. And 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 the backstory of Billy. Uh, mm. So so yeah. that's the other thing I read too um, in the research for this. So uh, when Kevin Williamson was writing the screenplay, there was a kind of a debate between him and the studio. And actually, they were all I think in it together. They weren't sure if they were going to have the killer have a motive. So I think that the the two thoughts of, of uh, trains of thought were one, do we have the killer have no motive uh, kind of via like Halloween and um, because that would make it scarier. Cause as we were talking about earlier with serial killers, which I think makes things scarier in movies like that when when there's really no motive, I think it kind of makes it more frightening on a certain level because we always want to assign a motive to something. I think that gives us psychologically at least a place where we can go, oh, I see why somebody did that. But when, yeah. when there's absolutely no reason for it, I think it's more terrifying. And then the other train of thought was to have more closure, we should have the killer have a distinct motive as to why they was doing the killing. So in this movie, by the by the the decision to have two people involved, he actually got to do both. So Billy, of course, had a motive of abandonment of his mother because of Sydney's mother having an affair with Billy's dad. Yeah. And so that's that's his motive that he articulates in that scene at the end of the movie. And then you have Stuart, who has no motive. And which leads to another one of the funny lines, because I forgot which character. I don't know, but Sydney asked him. So they asked him, why did why were you doing this? And his response was peer pressure, which was yeah. which, which is a fantastic funny, which was, I guess, another ad lib line. I don't think that was in the script either. And Wes Craven smartly said, okay, that's hilarious. We're going to keep that in. But yeah, so he had literally no motive other than just because. So he got yeah. to get to get both both of them in, which is great because I think it, like I said, just it enhanced. You have the the serious dark motive and and the psychotic. They're both psychotic, obviously, but then you have the funny, ridiculous kind of clown dude that's just along for the ride, even though horrific results happen. So I thought that was a great way to kind of get both things in there. So I love that part of it too. And like I said, Matthew Lillard's performance is probably one of my favorites in Scream. Uh, and again, at mm -hmm. the end, especially at the end, so he gets to shine kind of as he's revealed to be one of the killers and uh kind of do it full blast so uh that's my thoughts on scream um any anything you want to add on the movie before i give my review or my uh my rating um no i no i've got nothing to add i don't think <laughs> i think we said it all yeah i think we covered one. it i think so all right so on the first screen i'm going to give it four out of five um five i keep i only reserve for all and, and horror like i said for me horror is a genre that i mm. kind of revisit i pop in and out but for four for me, uh, for a horror movie is strong. That's a strong review for me. And I think it's a strong movie. And I think I actually, cause when I first saw the movies way back when, I, you know, I was a lot younger, obviously I, I liked them, but I don't think I, I didn't love them. Like people loved them at the time that they were released. So obviously you were really little, so you saw them later, but, uh, at the time they were acclaimed and it made a whole bunch of money. And obviously the sequels that were spawned, mm -hmm. I thought it was, I, I thought it was good, but on the revisit watching it now that I'm older, 
I think I appreciate the movie actually not more now. And I think I like it better now than I did then, which is unusual for a movie for me. So uh, I think I would have given it probably maybe three stars 20 years ago, but now I definitely, it's a strong four. I think it's a, it's a pretty well done, pretty fantastic uh, movie that kind of plays with the genre, makes fun of it, but is, is kind of reverent at the same time. So that's my uh, rating on it. Four out of five. What would you rate scream? Um, I think for me, the same, I'd give it a four out of five. It's the franchise as a whole has always been a, a favorite for me. And um, yeah, yeah, it's just a four for me. I absolutely love it. I've, uh, you know, I absolutely love it. I've got no more to add. I've enjoyed it just as much now as I did all those years ago and everything. So, yeah. All right. So then we will move on from screen on to screen two. So Scream 2 came out actually, and I didn't realize it, it came out a year later. Mm. So obviously, you know, as movie studios do, uh, the first Scream cleared over $100 million in domestic box office. I don't know what it did worldwide and look it up. So, of course, that's the ticket to a sequel. And the other thing I read, too, apparently when Kevin Williamson was trying to sell the screenplay, uh, he actually wrote Scream and then he actually wrote The Treatment, which is a small five or six page um sample of screen two and screen three because uh, he was trying to pitch this movie for a while and was not getting success and he figured you know what if i write treatments for a couple more stories maybe i could sell this as a franchise mm. uh, that was his 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 thought process and it turned out he ended up being correct and uh and one thing before we get into screen two the other fact that i thought was interesting too i was talking about earlier that Wes craven was kind of in a commercial slump in the sense that the movies he was making weren't successful like nightmare on elm street he was kind of known as the nightmare on elm street guy even though he had been around since the 70s, he almost didn't do Scream, actually. He was offered it, and he turned it down. And there was a story, and I don't know how true or not it is. Sometimes you got to watch the internet. But there was there was, there was was apparently a story where a young kid came up to him, met him somewhere, and said that he had gone soft, that he, you know, he used to make horrifying, violent, gory movies that scare the crap out of people, and that he had gone soft. And I guess he took that, criticism to heart and then changed his mind because he wasn't going to do screen because he thought it was too violent, which I, th mm. which I thought was an interesting position for him to take of all people. Now yeah. I haven't seen last, I haven't seen the last house on the left. And, and, and to be frankly, the only reason I haven't seen it is because the subject, I guess I'm the subject matter makes me uncomfortable. Cause I know mm. I, if I believe, I believe a, a girl is like brutally raped yeah, and, it's very and, graphic. Yeah, yeah, and then she and I know it's a revenge movie, and I know that they 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 come to the house where she's at, or they it ends up somewhere, and then she ends up exacting revenge. It's just, and I know it's a '70s grungy kind of like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and just mm -hmm. for some reason for me, it's just I I don't know, it just it doesn't, I, I it bothers me on a level that I don't think it would be entertaining, and I don't think I'd be able to appreciate it on a film level, because it may be a fantastic movie. I'm not even saying it's bad. I just, it's just something that I, it yeah. just doesn't, I, I'm not entertained by that, unfortunately. And it's not a judgment. It's just my own personal thing. It's kind of like after I had kids, uh, things about kids bother me more than they did before I had yeah. kids and I was single, you know, it's kind of that kind of situation. So, but again, which I thought it was interesting, but I think as he got older, I think he wanted to make different films because I had forgotten that he had directed a movie with Meryl Streep in it uh, about a, uh, uh, a teacher that's trying to teach young kids how to play the violin. So obviously not a horror film at all that he no. directed in 1999. I, I had forgotten he had done that. So I think he was trying to do other things. So I think revisiting that genre, I think he was just not in the, but then when somebody challenged him, he's like, wait a minute. Yeah, I am kind of the horror guy. And then he went back to it. So just an interesting aside there, but let's get into screen two. Uh, so we've got this kind of the, uh, we have the same creative team back. So Kevin Williamson, of course, wrote the screenplay for this movie as well. 
This movie came out a year later, 1997. Uh, Wes Craven, of course, also came back to direct. So you have, again, another large cast of young actors uh, led by the core cast of, uh, of Nev Campbell and Courtney Cox and uh, David Arquette. And in this film, you have uh, Jada Pinkett-Smith, Omar Epps, Heather Graham, um, Elise Neal, Leif Schreiber comes back as Cotton. So obviously Cotton's got a bigger role in this movie. And we'll get into that as we go into the movie as well. So Screen 2 opens with uh, kind of the same um, setup as the first Scream. So obviously this time you have uh, Jada Pinkett Smith and uh, Omar Epps as a couple going to see a screening of the film Stab, which is based on the book that Gail Weathers wrote, which chronicles the events of the first Scream. Uh, so obviously we get the movie within a movie kind of thing that continues uh, through the franchise. So um, obviously this sets it up. You know, they talk about uh, as they're waiting in line, they're talking about how uh, Jada Pinkett Smith rails against how the African-American community is not presented at all in horror films. That perspective is never presented. So there's a funny scene at the beginning where they're getting their tickets and and Omar's kind of giving her a hard time. He's like, look, I just want to see a scary movie. Can you can we knock it off? And they go inside, you know, of course they have everybody's dressed up as, as ghost face, you know, with their glow in the dark neon knives or stabbing each other, you know, as the movie starts to play. And then of course this, the scene culminates, um, Jada Pinkett leaves cause she wants to get some popcorn. She really doesn't like scary movies. So she's kind of spooked by it. Uh, her boyfriend ends up going to the bathroom. And then of course he is subsequently murdered for real. And then after he's murdered in the bathroom, um, ghost face sits next to, uh, Jada Pinkett Smith and uh, she thinks it's him she realizes it's not when there's blood all over her hands and then that killing ensues in the chaos of everybody going crazy in the theater uh, regarding um, you know reenacting the the scenes from Stab and then uh, go to the credits so kind of the same set set up so what do you think uh, let's do this why don't we compare I'll let you do it what how do you compare this opening to the opening of the first movie um I think I, pre I preferred the first movie's one because I think that was you know you hadn't really seen anything like that at the time because it was it was quite it was quite shocking but the second one it, it was good I was going to say the part I really liked about it is because obviously this film you can see the cinema is packed it is every they're dressed up it has obviously been it's implied in the film this is highly anticipated this film the stab movie is highly anticipated so it's quite crowded and everything and as obviously she she's been stabbed and she's trying to scream for help they think it's some sort of you know thing to promote the movie and nobody believes it's real so nobody goes to help her i was gonna say i really liked that part because that sort of makes it really tense and actually made it more scary because it's like well no she does really need help and you're sitting there watching just it's quite frustrating to see because they, they they all think it is like a thing to promote the movie like some sort of publicity stunt to report uh to thing the movie no that's a great point and it's funny too yeah you know what that 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 part of it that last part you just said i didn't even think about it that way i was looking at it more just people not even just paying attention because they were just busy watching the screen but you're right uh it makes that killing more make more sense where you wouldn't go wait a minute why wouldn't anybody stop it that's a great point because Everybody stabbing each other. It's a big publicity stunt. They were giving out all the costumes. It's just people reenacting a murder. So yeah, that's a great point. So I think that that uh, heightens the tension. And as an audience member, you're going, "Oh my god, this is happening!" And nobody's doing anything about it. And literally, you know, she has to go up onto the screen and fall down before people stop. 
you know, take off their masks. At the very end of that scene, before the credits come on, you see everybody going, oh, wait a minute. Something's, something's yeah. going on. Something's wrong. So, yeah, you're right. So up until that point, it's great. And I agree with you. I do think the uh, the the sequence in the first movie is, I probably like it more, but I think you said for the for the main reasons. And, and, I, and this movie kind of makes fun of it, too, which is why I think these movies are strong, is, is it, it's tough to recreate the surprise of the first film of any kind of thing. So obviously, you know, and they talk about it here. They talk about that's what running gag in this movie. Um, the first movie was kind of, you know, the rules of horror movies and making fun of it. The, 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 the theme in this movie, and we'll talk more about it more is, is the, the validation of sequels. So, cause there's one of my favorite scenes we'll get into in a minute with that, but mm. same thing. So I think, you know, when you do it a second time, it's never going to be as good as the first time. Um, but I still think it was create, like you said, I think there was moments of tension in there and it was creative in its own way. And obviously there's a comfort level there because that's how the first movie was set up. So you're going to do the second movie kind of the same way just to get you right back into the familiarity of what, what made the first movie successful. So, but I agree. I think the first one is, is better because of the surprise element to it. And, and you hadn't seen it before. All right. So, um, after that opening credit scene, so obviously that sets the stage for the second film and we're away from Woodboro now. So Sydney Prescott is in college in Ohio and, uh, actually, um, Jamie Kennedy joins her from the first movie. So the movie, uh, the movie video store nerd, uh, is in college with her. So she's kind of uh, moved on with her life in the sense that she started college. She's a theater major. Uh, she has a best friend played elite by Elise Neal, and she's dating um, uh, a fraternity brother uh, played by actor Jerry O'Connell. Uh, so that's kind of the setup of this movie. And then, of course, uh, as we would know what happens, uh, the bodies start piling up and uh, and. Sydney is now confronted again with with the with the horror at the beginning of the movie. I thought it was funny too with the caller ID. It's funny to see the stuff that 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 goes back. I mean, even the first scream too. It's just like it's so funny. I can't even imagine a world without DVDs and stuff like that. So they're talking about the VCRs and the video mm -hmm. stores and the. So for me, that's that's crazy because it's a whole different it's a whole different world. Even though it doesn't seem like it was that long ago, but uh, it was kind of funny. But in this one, so obviously she's revisiting this trauma um, and. Uh, you know, people are prank calling her when the movie opened and she's kind of more, I think she's more empowered in this movie than she was in the first movie, I think. Because uh, more, one more time has gone by, two, she's kind of confronted her her trauma and defeated it in the first movie. Uh, so I think when things are reminded, you know, remind her of things early on, at least she, she's more um, able to kind of handle it. But as you see this movie progress, obviously, it's obviously still there. And then the things revisit, because I think that the other theme here is revisiting trauma, uh, which is uh, which is always terrible for anybody. If you've had a trauma in your life and, and, you, and you try to move on and, and you revisited it because it repeats, um, obviously, that that causes great distress. So I think this this movie kind of uh, runs on that theme as well, because if she's trying to move on with her life and she's kind of stuck but wants to move on. I think that was kind of the theme and, and her performance in here kind of reflects that. Uh, so what are your thoughts on the beginning or the early part of this movie and where her character is uh, after the events of the first movie? Uh, yeah, like you said, I enjoy this seems like a moving on. And you were saying about the revisiting the trauma thing. I really enjoyed the way they showed that, especially obviously because of the events of the first one. It turned out to be Sydney's boyfriend and everything. You see her, she's overly cautious with the new boyfriend. And he's he is like pretty understanding about it, and obviously that last revealed like later on and everything. But you can you can see she she doesn't fully trust him because of because of Loomis in the first film. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, that's that's reflected there. I think, like you said, I think mm. that's the thing. I think she's stuck between the desire to move on, yeah. but uh, the the obstacles are there, like you said, uh, because of obviously her first boyfriend tried to murder her. So obviously that's gonna that's gonna mm. leave her with some issues with any kind of boyfriend going forward. So let's. I want to get into the uh, another main part of the story. So as I stated, Lee Shriver plays Cotton. Uh, Weary, who was wrongly convicted of Sydney's mother's murder in the first scream. So obviously in this movie, he's been released and uh, is looking to obviously restart his life uh, and sees this as an opportunity to cash in. And he thinks he deserves that, right? So that's kind of a theme with him. Uh, and Lee Schreiber, great actor. Um, he's He does a good job here. And like I said, his, his, his role has expanded in this movie as well. Uh, and I think... Uh, I, I liked his performance a lot because I liked I liked where they took that character because I think to me it's a kind of a natural progression. He's kind of, you know, a scumbag about it, but at the same time you got to go. Well, wait a minute. I mean, he was wrongly convicted, uh, and you know, he didn't do that much time in jail. But a day in jail for an innocent person is one day too many. I would I, I agree with that. But I think obviously he's he's taking this and this is another. Thing too. I think it kind of comments on kind of tabloid television as well. So he sees this as an opportunity to one, clear his name. And if clear by clearing his name, he can make some cash. Hey, that's not bad either. what do you think about that part of the story? Um, yeah, like you said, it is one of those, it's, it's a dilemma because he was wrongfully convicted and everything. And you can see why he wants to cash in, but it's especially as well, because he was, as he works with Gail to do it as well, doesn't he? And, um, when she stages the confrontation between him and Sydney for, I think it's for a show or something, isn't it? Or like a, some sort of follow-up segment about a book or something like that. And she stages the confrontation between them. And it's just a bit like he, he's got obviously going along with it because he's trying to cash in and Sydney's uncomfortable and everything like that. So I, I, it is one of those you sort of uh, you feel conflicted on it, don't you? Yeah, and and it it makes you more conflicted because actually Cotton's mm. reaction to finding out that Sydney didn't know about the interview, he was upset. So yeah. they made it they made it clear that he wasn't in on ambushing her. It was clear that Gail mm. lied to him and told him that oh she's in, we're going to do it now, we're going to do the interview, she's all in. Because he confronts uh, Gail about that way, he goes, wait, she didn't know. Yeah, like, what, what are we doing here? So and the, and the, and that brings me to one of one of my other favorite things about Scream Two, Gail Weathers' character. Mm. So in a normal movie, so after the events of Scream One, you would think, and nor this is what normally happens in movies. So when they come back for the sequel, her character you think would have been fundamentally changed. So like yeah. she she you know she was kind of a tabloid reporter, confronted the horror, had to kill someone you know, rightfully so. So you would think she would come back in this movie, maybe a little bit softer. Like, you know what I, you know, I understand the implications of the things that I've done. Uh, I'm still a reporter, but I'm doing it from a different angle. Absolutely not. She's the no. same person in scream too. That, and I actually <laughs> love that because yeah. I think that's actually realistic. Like, I love the fact that she's like, yeah, it, it kind of sucked what happened and I had to kill people, but Hey, I got a book out of it. I'm still mm -hmm. here. The characters are still here. Uh, I'm going to, she just keeps it moving, which I, I absolutely love because I think in a lot of other sequels, she would have become more, uh, I mean, not more like Sydney, but she would have been like more of Sydney's ally in the sense that she would have been like, yeah, wow, I'm with you now, girl. I see what happened. He, she was, she's the same person, which I actually loved. I love that she was yeah. still ambitious, still kind of, um, oh, going to play in the gray areas. Like she didn't change at all from the first movie, which I actually liked. Oh. 
Yeah, I I really enjoyed. I enjoyed the character. Anyway, she's she's again a little bit of like a comedic element to the film is uh, Gail's character because she's so pushy and you just think, oh my god, when she's saying something like, well, you know, when she ambushes Sydney or she's chasing a story. I, I really enjoy the character. Yeah, absolutely. And then let's get to the main other main character, of course, which is Dewey, because obviously after the the initial killing happens, uh, he comes back into town, you know, to see if Sydney's okay. You know, he's kind of in this movie, her protector. And, uh, I like the evolution of his character too. And I do and a small thing too. And I do like the fact that he, he comes back, you know, and he's severely injured. So in the sense, you know, obviously he's got some issues with walking and his hands got an issue. Uh, they didn't just gloss over the fact that he was stabbed in the spine mm-hmm. in the first movie. And then he comes back in this movie. Cause in another, in a lot of other movies, he would have just been like, Hey, I'm good. You know, yeah, I'm healed. You know, everything's fine. So uh, they, 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 it's a, another element to his character. And I think he's um, the thing that I liked about his character too, is the opposite of kind of Courtney Cox. His character kind of matures a little bit between the first movie and the second movie. Mm. It's it just seemed his performance is a little bit different. Like it's, it's, he's not playing the dim witted guy anymore. Really. It's more, not that he's super intelligent, but I think he, he plays it as a guy that's been through a trauma as well. And yeah. is only there to protect her, and uh, that's where his focus lies. Mm. So uh, I think I, I, I like the change because I think his performance changed in a good way as well. So I was I was a big fan of his performance in that movie as well. And you were saying that him being obviously the opposite of the cat of Gail's character as well. It's I think that's what makes them such a nice. That's what gives them such good chemistry as well. Is that classic the sort of the two opposite characters ending up working together and having it work. I think that's what makes those two characters so good. Is he he sort of gives her more a softer side. You see the softer side of her through him. Absolutely, that's a great mm. point. You do. He brings out. He's the one that brings out whatever humanity or goodness mm. that you see. You're absolutely right. I think that's that dynamic works really well. Um, in these movies and I want to give one small performance kind of uh, a shout out as well and I'll let you um, add whoever you think your favorite performances are Dwayne Martin as her cameraman (laughs) now his part is not that big but this is why I love when good actors have parts he makes every part of his performance just funny just the he's almost like the audience surrogate to me because he's basically when he's finding out Every line he has talking about when he's read her book and he's like, I'm going to get, I'm, why am I here? I'm not yeah. looking fulfilled. Every, he, every time he came on screen and said a line, I think I laughed out loud because he yeah. was just really like, this is no, this is ridiculous. And, uh, and you know, unfortunately he, uh, he doesn't make it to the end of the movie. Like they joke about how black people don't fare well in horror movies, mm. uh, which is fun. Too. But he, every minute he was on, it just made me laugh. Like it was just, he, it was great because it was it was a realistic like you know wait a minute I'm in the middle of no I I, I just want to no and it's just I don't know I loved it so and like I said it's a small performance but it just stood out to me I I noted it because it was so funny um, who were your kind of favorite performances in Scream Two that kind of stood out for you um I think for this one it would be I still can't remember the guy's name the the video nerd from the first one the video store nerd from the first one Jamie Kennedy yep that's yep, it Jamie Kennedy. Because he's in, uh, obviously, in the second one. And I think he, he sort of, it just, just the talking about the sequels, because they make the connections, obviously, with the victims. Um, and then Gail, and I think it's Gail, him, and um, and David Arquette that make the connections, because 
they said that I think the first victim is she was CC something, the sorority sister, but they find out the nickname CC is for KC, as in Casey Becker, Drew Barrymore's character in the first one. And I think I just liked that part. He was. I think I just liked what he was doing in this one better than the first one, you know, talking about the sequels, giving, you know, the rules and everything like that. Absolutely. And thank you for bringing me back because I was almost going to skip that and I talked about it earlier. So one of the themes running through Scream 2, you're absolutely right, in in where Scream, the first Scream made fun of kind of horror movies, the second movie kind of commented on sequels. So one of my favorite scenes in the movie, Mm. which probably is not me being the film geek that I am, is the scene early in the film when they're in the uh, film history class. So they're discussing, like I said, there's no horror involved. They're discussing sequels and yes. your character, Jamie Kennedy is discussing how all sequels suck and then no sequels are better than the first movie. And it's funny. I'm the film geek in me is loving this conversation because this is a conversation I would have for hours with other film geeks, but it was fantastic when they were talking about the second movies of stuff. So it was like, um, you know, they would talk about, uh, they were saying how Aliens was better than Alien or mm. T2 better than Terminator. And then Sarah Michelle Geller makes the joke, oh, you have a hard on for James Cameron, which made me laugh. Um, and they were talking about how, you know, everything is retread and it's not as original. And there's always that debate about sequels. And um, and at the very end of the scene, Timothy Oliphant, um, great actor who's in it, I forgot his character in the movie, but he comments at the very end of the scene, which I love as a film geek. He's like, oh, I got one. The Godfather Part Two, and then everybody in the class goes, "Oh yeah, yeah, right, that's a good one. That's a good one." So it was just those little things, those are the little moments that I kind of like. Like I said, no horror in it, no anything like that. And then when I love about it later, Timothy Oliphant's character, there's a callback to sequels at the at the party. He goes, he's talking to Jamie Kennedy's character, and he he stops him. It has nothing to do with anything, and this is a great thing about the movie as well. He taps him on the shoulder and goes, "Empire Strikes Back, better effects, better story." So then Jamie Kennedy's response is even better. He goes, that's not a sequel. That's part of a trilogy. So that doesn't count. So I'm like, oh, my God. Talk about film geek. Like, that's film, deep film geek kind of stuff. People are like, who cares? But it just made me laugh because, like I said, Empire Strikes Back is universally praised as the best Star Wars film of the original trilogy, which I agree. Uh, But it was just it was great to see that theme. Like you said, that was that running theme of sequels Mm. and how they're not, you know, and then the sequel rules, to your point, because what did he say? More kills, bloodier kills, higher yeah. body count, you know, like all the stuff that you got to do to keep the audience engaged. Kind of like what we talked about with the first scene where you have mm. the pre-credits murder, uh, just because that's kind of now that you've set up the brand now of Scream. So now if you don't see a pre-credits murder in a Scream movie, you're like, well, wait a minute, this is not really a Scream movie. Yeah. Uh, so they kind of set up their kind of their branding in there. So, yeah, I agree with you that uh, that was fantastic. So let's get to um, the reveal of this movie. So um, we get uh, we get to the climax of the film. Uh, you know, what happens is there's more kill. Well, actually, but let's let me back up. Let's be consistent. What was your favorite kill in Scream 2? Ooh. Ooh, that's a, that's that's a hard one. Trying to think of that one, actually. Um, I did obviously really enjoy the opening, like I said, with the tension and everything. Um I think I think the one as well. I think probably because it was just quite sad is how she distrusted Sydney distrusts her boyfriend and she finds him dead. He's I think it's uh, she finds him like tied to tied to the cross and everything. She thought he was this, obviously thought he was the killer and it's 
I think that even the killer tormentor so then, doesn't she say, well, you thought it was him and everything like that. So I think that's probably my favorite one from this film. Oh, that's a good choice. I'm going to pick mm. a different one. I, I agree with you. I'm picking one, and it's funny because this is, I think I'm, I'm picking this one because it stood, stood out when I watched the film and more suspenseful than horror because actually the scene when Ghostface commandeers the vehicle that uh, Sydney and her friend are in with the undercover police or the detectives takes over the car, kills the cops and they're driving and they're trying to get out and they crash the scene. So he's, so Ghostface is unconscious in the front driver's side seat. They're stuck in the back. And of course it's got the, the steel netting for our, for, cause it's cop car. So Sydney has to go to the front over Ghostface to get out of the vehicle. I thought that scene was played beautifully with suspense. So she gets out, and she's trying to let her girlfriend out and the door is locked, can't get it out, can't get it open. And she's telling her, you have to go through the front too to get out. And um, I thought that was well done. And it obviously ended with her friend getting murdered after they get out of the car, which I thought was a good twist because she wants to go back and confront him because she wants to see who it is. So yeah. she's like, I I'm, 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 I want to go see who it is and her friend. And, th and this is what kind of makes the scene kind of more tragic too, because she's like, uh, forget it. Let's get out of here. What are you doing? And she's like, no, if, if I don't confront him now, he's just going to get away. And then I'm just going to have to continue. I want to deal with this. So she wants to make a decision because she wants to move on. And then that decision has, has, has tragic consequences, which is a theme of her life. She goes back. Of course, he's gone. And then we kind of knew what was going to happen. And unfortunately, her friend gets murdered. I, I actually love that scene because I just love, I love the tension and suspense in that scene. There was no goriness or killing till the very end of the scene, but mm. it's just the way it was played out. Because <clears throat> I honestly didn't, like I said, I hadn't, I saw the movie a long time ago, so I didn't remember that scene and how it played out. So it was like I was watching it for the first time anyway. So I don't remember, like, the, the, does he attack Sydney? Does he attack the friend? And it, nothing happens, and you think they're going to be okay, and then they're not okay. Uh, mm. So that's probably one of my favorite scenes in the movie. It stood out to me. All right, so let's get to the reveal. So um, this reveal uh, I thought was really actually excellent um, because unlike the first movie, I remembered one of the characters involved, but not the second character. So it was kind of a half surprise, which is kind of cool. So we didn't mention in the cast, uh, and I neglected to do it earlier, but Laurie Metcalf plays a reporter in this film. So if you know Laurie Metcalf, great actress from uh, Roseanne and other various films that she's done, great actress and everything she does. So she's kind of a reporter that hounds Gail's character throughout the movie. It's kind of annoying, asking annoying questions. So she's almost a throwaway character. But in the reveal, it turns out she's not a throwaway character. So we find out that Timmy, Timothy Oliphant's character, and let me pull his name up because obviously he's a major part, Mickey. So Mickey, uh, who is a, one of the students, he's a student that talks about Empire Strikes Back and brought up Godfather 2. So he's one of the friends in the movie as well. So it turns out that he is the killer in this movie. So you're like, oh, why is he the killer? I don't know. What's the deal? So then the reveal is that he was actually working with Laurie Metcalf's character, the reporter. Um, and it turns out that she is Billy Loomis's mother. Yeah. So this becomes her revenge for, of course, Sydney Prescott killing her son. And, of course, she's, as a great mother always does, ignores the fact that her son is psychotic. So, yeah, um, great. And like you said, to kind of plays into the scene 
uh, that you described as your favorite with with uh, with Sydney's boyfriend being hung up uh, on the thing. So obviously to set that up real quick. So obviously in the movie, he gave Sydney his uh, his Greek letters, which is apparently a no, no, I don't do fraternities. Apparently that's a no, no. Mm. So they put him up kind of, you know, put beer down his pants, kind of do all this stupid college stuff that they do. And they left them kind of hanging there. So when the scene happens, uh, he's still alive. And then Mickey reveals himself. So he's got the gold face. Yeah. He reveals himself as the killer. And there is a great exchange to add to your point of the scene. There's a great exchange uh, that really brings out her trust issue. So obviously Mickey is telling Sydney, you know, don't cut him down. She's like, cut me down, get me out of here. And he's like, you sure you want to do that? Um, he was the one that was helping me. Uh, so there's a great exchange there again, funny and scary at the same yeah. time. Cause he's like, my favorite line of his is like, Oh, killer boyfriend, killer boyfriend, which is it? We don't know. Right. And he's just kind of making fun of her and saying, what are you mm. going to do? What's, what's it going to be? And, uh, of course, ultimately, uh, he, he ends up murdering him, shooting him. And then the real second killer is revealed, which of course is, is turns out to be Billy Loomis's mom. And I, and I did like that reveal because I, the thing that you always concerned about a sequel, which I think they, they talk about as well is what the, what would have been bad is if the reveal would have been not good. So yeah. if, if the, if the method or the motive for this killing is just dumb, then you're like, oh, this whole movie was a waste of time. Like, is there really going to be a motive after the first movie? Like that? Cause then there's no need for a sequel. Uh, but I really, I really was uh, impressed with how they circled it back and yeah. gave it a legitimate motive based on the backstory that was already presented in the first movie. Because in the first movie, you know, when Billy is revealed as the killer, he states how, you know, the affair took place, his mom abandoned him and all of that stuff. And then she comes back and all of that stuff plays back into the motive. So I thought it was really well done. And I thought it was a, uh, uh, a good motive to set up the end of the film. What did you think about the, the climax and the reveal? Yeah, I like that. Like you said, it's in the first movie. It's it's mentioned obviously a couple of times that his mother's left. Like when she gives uh, Sid when he gives Sydney that speech in the first movie. You know, I know what it was like when my mother left, and she obviously you know the whole argument. So it's only mentioned a couple of times. So it's kind of something you do forget about until she comes back into it. it is one of those sort of oh moments, realizing who she is and why she's doing it. I also liked uh, one of the, why I like the reveal as well. Is this quite reminiscent of Friday, the first Friday the 13th? Because you immediately, everyone always thinks, you know, oh yeah, it was Jason Voorhees. But in the first film, it was, and it was Mrs. Voorhees that was doing yes. it. Yes. So I thought that was like a really nice, it was reminiscent of that as well. No, that's right. And you're, you're, you're right too, because that was a clever line yeah. that, uh, that he talked about, yeah, about serial killers. And they said Jason Voorhees. And he's like, no, no, Jason Voorhees wasn't the killer. No. It was Mrs. Voorhees, not till the second movie. That's great, too. And let me get back to that, too, because I didn't. I'm trying to think if I noted any Easter eggs in Scream 2. Oh, yes, I did, actually. Let me pull out my notebook because I knew I was going to forget. Um, let's see. So, yeah, we talked about sequels. Um, Psycho. So the, the Stab movie. So Heather Graham plays the Drew Barrymore character in Stab. Yeah. The movie with him. So they basically mimic the scene from psycho not the not the end of the scene but the beginning of the scene there's a close-up of the faucet the shower comes on the yeah. water and then she disrobes just like in psycho so i'm like i don't know if that was intentional or not but that that reminded me of psycho right when i saw it mm. um it's really subtle but that's one that i that i um 
Oh, and my other favorite callback, which was a funny one. In Scream 1, Sydney has a throwaway line when they were talking about how this would make a great movie. If you remember her line, her line, they were talking about who would play them. Yeah. And Sydney May has a throwaway line of, oh, knowing my love, Tori Spelling will play me in the movie. And, and lo and behold, it, <laughs> it was Tori Spelling with a great cameo. Yeah. So props to Tori Spelling, one, for having a good sense of humor about it and uh, actually doing it. So that was a great uh that was a great car, um, callback as well. So those are the two I think I noticed. Did you notice any other? You you already mentioned a couple. Did you notice any other horror movie? Mo- I saw Nosferatu in there too. That's the other thing I noticed um, too. It wasn't. It's not necessarily horror, but obviously because it was the nineties and it was Courtney Cox and outside of Scream, she was doing Friends. You know the the huge show Friends. There's a couple of Easter eggs there as well relating to Friends. If you notice, because in the Stab movies, I'm pretty sure it's David Schwimmer, who was Ross, obviously, yes, who plays Dewey. And there's a line then, I think I, somebody says something to her about, oh, your nude photos leaked. Yes. Goes, it was Jennifer Aniston's body, my head. And it's like, obviously, that's Rachel. <laughs> so that, yes. was, that was an Easter egg I liked as well, the Friends references. Yeah, no, that's great, great. Uh, yeah, I remember that line at the towards the yeah, because that was a that was a funny throwaway. Yeah, thanks for I didn't note that one too. Thank you. Yeah, so two friends references there. You're correct. So, yeah, like I said, I I don't know if they were doing any more because I noticed no. The only reason I noted Nosferatu is because there was several moments in the movie where something on TV that was playing was 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 scenes from that film, um, which is obviously a classic in in the horror genre from uh, you know the silent mm. film from the twenties. Uh, but I don't think there was any other direct references in the movie other than showing Nosferatu uh, in the background. But again, uh, love the reveal. Uh, I think Scream 2 is uh, is is good. Um, is it as good as the first one? I, I would probably say no, but not because I think it's a terrible movie or that it's uh, worse per se. I think it's just, like you said, it's always challenging to recreate yeah. something that successful but what i will i think it does as good a job as you could probably do i don't i don't think uh, there's not something that i'm going god it should have done this or it should have done that so i I, while i might say and i'm always partial to and i kind of agree with the with the theme of scream 2 is um it's very rare that i like sequels better than the first movies i mean there are some exceptions Mm. um i actually agree with the aliens exception i do like alien a lot but uh i think aliens is 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 a superior movie or or a more entertaining movie the one that always got me when we're saying about sequels, I always think it during that scene as well, is Toy Story 2. Great exception. Toy Story I 2 really is phenomenal. I love that, yeah. Toy Story 2. And a quick aside on Toy Story 2, because I was, I'd like this in my film geek again. It's funny too, because at the time that movie came out, so Toy Story came out in 95, mm. and um, Pixar was still independent of Disney. Now they had a contract with Disney to distribute their films. So it, at the time in the mid nineties. So there was a, after the Renaissance of the Disney animation. So, which began 89 with little mermaid, then, um, beauty and the beast, uh, Aladdin Lion King that when they, when they were having that string, when they just back to life as an animation studio, uh, they had a unfortunate habit though, of making direct to video sequels to their big hit movies. So they were released direct to video, lower budget, lower animation quality, not great stories. Some of them, mixed, I don't know a lot of people like return to Jafar, which is the second Aladdin, the sequel to Aladdin, but Toy Story 2 was originally going to be a direct-to-video sequel uh, to the first one. So um, uh, John Lasseter, the head of Pixar at the time, had heard this and uh, saw what they were going to do. And he mm-hmm. said, so Pixar obviously has a high bar for quality. 
you know, if you know the Pixar process, process I think they do it. They, they have basically what they do is they have scores of people that come up with stories. They, they kind of go through a committee to kind of get the best stories out there. There's a very deliberate process that they go through to get movies made at Pixar. Yeah. So when John Lasseter found that out, he, he said, no, you're not doing that. If, if you're going to do that, then we're not making a sequel to Toy Story. It's going to be a feature length film or it's not going to happen. So Disney's like, okay. So they they re looked they re looked at it again. They got back in control of it, and Toy Story two is 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 a good. It's strong. Now the the, the thing about Toy Story, yeah, it's strong. But the thing about that, and then you get Toy Story three, which to me, the end of that movie still chokes me up. Like I I've never. That's one of the first times watching an animated film that I got choked up at the end of a movie. <laughs> um, when there, it's just unbelievably done. Um, which is why I was unfortunately not a fan of Toy Story four, but. Um, they should have stopped at three. We'll, we'll get into that another yeah. day. I didn't, I was, I was not a fan of four, but, uh, Toy Story three was phenomenal, but yeah, you, like you said, Toy Story two, strong sequel. And you can all, I mean, Toy Story, I, the first one, I'm always going to be partial to the first one because it was so original and so well done. And it just, yeah. the premise of toys being alive when they're not being interacted with, it just, it was just brilliantly done. Uh, so, but yeah, Toy Story two is a great example, but yeah, like I said, sequels uh, are tough. Normally they don't surpass the original i think for me a sequel as long as it's a strong movie on its own i i'll enjoy it you know and if yeah. like I said, characters you want to revisit um it's great but yeah but i love that theme but i think scream 2 does as good a job as you can do um with a sequel to a very successful franchise and kind of furthering story and like i said what, what helps it is the the theme of sequels in this movie so there's you still get kind of you know you get you get kind of the same things but you get some new stuff too and i think there was enough new stuff in scream 2 to make it kind of stronger like i said the reveal gives it you know major yeah. hype for me that's what really you know like i said that would have kept the movie from either being really good or just a, a sequel that was unnecessary so i think the it gets a lot of points for me uh for the for the reveal in the end so for me i'm actually going to rate this movie uh, i'm actually going to give it i'm going to give it four as well i'm going to give it four out of five even though i i, I like scream one a little more I, I don't think I I don't think it's three and a half. I think it's, it's not enough for me. So I'm actually going to give it give it four as well out of five. That's my rating. What's yours? Uh, I think mine is definitely a four as well. Like it's not my if we're just looking at just this genre, it's not my favorite sequel. But like you said, it is it stand. If you were just looking at it standalone as a film on its own, it's it is really good. It's enjoyable. It keeps to the same vibe. But you know, gives you so like I said, gives you something new. So yeah, it's it's definitely a, a strong four for me as well. Perfect. No, that's great. So it sounds good. So we'll definitely, I know with the sequel talk, I got off the bat. Maybe we'll do a show on just sequels. You yeah. and I can pick our favorite sequels because uh, I think we have some good opinions on those, and you see a bunch of different movies as well. Like I said, we'll do one probably. I like to do a uh, we'll do a non horror podcast. You and I because I think it'll be fun to kind of get out of. Uh, I want to keep doing these because these are great. I love doing these, but I think, yeah, I want to hear some of your thoughts on some other movies. I know you see, mm. I know you don't only just watch horror movies. Obviously you have a pretty vast yeah. knowledge of other movies. So uh, we'll definitely get your thoughts on that. So again, that's our thoughts on screen one and two. So we're both in agreement actually on ratings. So if you mm. haven't seen it, four stars for each, like you said, I gave a warning on spoilers in the first one. I said reveal. So hopefully on this second one, you knew to stop it when I said reveal and come back. Uh, if you haven't seen the movies, I'm assuming Anyone listening to this podcast has probably seen both of those movies already. And at the very minimum, it make you want to revisit them. Uh, I was able to watch it here in the United States on HBO Max. So if you have that, it's streaming now there. Or like I said, you can always run it on 
wherever you get VOD, Amazon, Hulu, or not Hulu, excuse me, Amazon, um, Voodoo or whatever in the United States. Now in the UK, I'm not sure how the streaming works over there. Do you own those movies or were you able to watch it streaming? How did you, how did um, you go? To, to stream, it would have to be Amazon Prime rent or buy over in the UK. All right, perfect. Yeah. All right, so before we wrap this up, I want, uh, Neva, if you go ahead and uh, tell everybody about your blog and where they can find it, where they can follow you on social media. Uh, okay, so once again, like I said, you can, it's crimeinmypocket.com, just to, to the actual blog, and you can follow me then on Twitter and Instagram at crimeinmypocket. Fantastic. And before I sign off, uh, obviously, you can follow me on Twitter at Bend Your Ear Pod. That's also the handle for Instagram. Uh, there's a Facebook page and a YouTube channel. So if you can like subscribe, that'd be great as well. That uh, helps. And if you listen to this podcast on especially Apple Podcasts, please rate and review. Uh, that's a great way you can help independent podcasters like us uh, receive a higher um what's the word I'm looking for? Exposure when people search out for new podcasts. That's the word I'm looking for. And uh Again, really check out her blog. If you're true crime, I know is one of the biggest genres in the world, whether it's podcasting or Netflix. Her blog is one of the best. If you're interested in it, it's easy to read. It's well researched. Um, like I said, I read the, her her case on Dennehy, her her blog, and I blew through it. It's an easy read. Uh, I highly recommend it. So definitely check it out. Um, also check out her contributions to this podcast. I'm very grateful for her for taking the time to do this. Um, we've done several episodes. We do it our, um, our Halloween specials. We've done two already. So I'm looking already looking forward to the next one, uh, later this year. Check those out. They're on the feed there. We've done, uh, like I said, we've done John Carpenter movie and one other horror film. So we're going to keep that up until we run out of John Carpenter movies anyway. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that. And like yeah. I said, our latest episode, episode 65 was her flying solo as the host, um, talking about, I know what you did last summer and I still know what you did last summer. So in keeping with the nineties horror theme, check that out. And then, you know, after you listen to this episode, um, again, we're, she will be a recurring guest on here or be hosting on her own. So, uh, again, Neve, I want to thank you for that. I appreciate you taking the time to do that. I know that takes time to research and, and put those up there. So I really appreciate you contributing to the show in that way. It's a, it's a big contribution and I do appreciate it. Oh, thank you. And thank you for having me on the show as well. You know, thank you to your audience and to you for having me on. I always have a, re have a lot of fun recording these. Fantastic. All right. Well, then everybody take care. Have a good week. And we will definitely be seeing you soon. Thank you for listening to the show. If you're listening to the show on Apple Podcasts or any other app, please take a moment to rate and review. This is a quick and easy way you can help the show attain a higher profile in searches when people are seeking out new podcasts. Another way you can help raise the profile of the podcast if you enjoyed what you heard or you think a friend might like it is to share the episode on your social media. This is another easy way to help the show reach a wider audience. The podcast is available on the following apps. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and CastBox. The show is also available on both YouTube and Facebook. Episodes can also be downloaded directly from the website at www.letmebendyourear.com. If you want to email the show, the email is bendyourearpodcast at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening, and I hope everyone has a great week.